Welcome to another episode of Chic Compass Connection. This podcast will give you a glimpse into the window of the popular Chic Compass magazine, where we feature art, music, design, fashion, dining, and all things chic for the culture-starved audiences of the world. To view our magazine online, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot com. We would also like to thank the Vegas Room in the Historic Commercial Center in Las Vegas, Nevada for inviting us to their supper club to broadcast our show. I'm your host, Jamie Hosmer. Let's introduce today's guest. Dennis Blair can truly do it all. He's an accomplished screenwriter, award-winning songwriter, and comedic actor. Yet he is probably best known for the caustic observations and musical satires of his live comedy performances. Early in his career... Rodney Dangerfield made him his protege. Dennis conceived and co-wrote Rodney's hit movie, Easy Money, and also played two cameo roles. Dennis has opened for a multitude of celebrities, such as Tom Jones, The Beach Boys, Gary Shandling, Joan Rivers, plus a 20-year run with George Carlin. He has recently written and released a book titled Touring with Legends, which chronicles his life in show business. Dennis Blair... Welcome to the podcast. I really hate me already. I hate me already. I can't stand myself. There's too much information out there already. I don't think you want to put out anything else. That's enough. That's really enough for people to know. It sounds pretty good already. Well, it's, it's been okay. It's been very good. It's very, it's, I, wish, I wish any of it was true. I wish even one of it. You know, I never met. No, I'm kidding. It I have a feeling so it's true. all true. It's all true. Well, all right. Let's talk, about, let's talk about the book. But first, I want to talk about your music. Okay. Because when we first met, I saw you as a stand-up comedian. Yes, you That's did. That's what you were doing. I had no idea you were a songwriter hmm. and, a, and a gifted musician. Oh, gifted. So I read on your website that you've been writing songs since you were 12. 12 years old. Tell me, tell me about that. You know what the name of the first song I ever wrote was? I'd well, like to know. Um, it was called, now I'm 12 years old, keep this in mind. And I, have, I come up with this song called, She Said It and She'll Regret It. <laughs> not only did I not have a girlfriend, I was about seven years away from ever having my first one. I don't know where I got this this idea that I could write a song about relationships at twelve. <laughs> she said it and she regretted it. It was a horrible like this this like the, a girl that broke up with me and she's gonna regret it. <laughs> it's almost like a stalker kind of thing. I don't know what happened to me. And here's my favorite line of the song. This is a, I actually put this in the song, and I know if I wait long enough and persevere in my strife. I know she'll regret what she did to me for the rest of her life. So already, first of all, I was using words like persevere, and I was an angry little That's guy. fantastic. Yeah. Is there a copy of that recording somewhere? Uh, there was not a copy of the recording. However, I did it. Uh, I, my songwriting partner, who writes lyrics for me sometimes, uh, has a restaurant in Long Island, and he had me do a show there five years ago. And I did that song, and I actually have it on tape. It's not like it's not available, but uh, I explained the whole story, and they just went nuts over it. That's amazing! It was so hilarious. Now you're speaking of John Durkin. John Durkin. Yes. You guys have written a lot of songs together. Yes, since since uh, grammar school, we started collaborating when we were we were kids in grammar school, and then we went our separate ways. He became a restaurateur, and I became an idiot professionally for money. Um, <laughs> I go on stage and say stupid things and people pay me. Uh, but then uh, about six, seven years ago, we reunited. He said, hey, I came up with lyrics to a song out of the blue and I don't know if you want to 
put a, a melody to it, and I was on a cruise ship, bored out of my mind. I said, please, send me more. <laughs> and I did, and we, he said, oh, that's great. Let me, let's do some more. So we, we, we've uh, gotten back together again in recent times. So you were a, a musician yes. and singer and yes. songwriter. That was your passion when you were young. That's what I was going to do. I was, was going to become a huge rock star like James Taylor except without the heroin addiction, but I was going to try to <laughs> bypass that. And uh, that was the plan. That was the plan since I was 12. And uh, Who were your nowhere. major influences? Oh, my God. Kid? In those days, let's see. So I would have to say my major ones were the Beatles, of course. That's, how, that's what started it because you know, I saw them and I went, oh, I'm not getting a real job after seeing this. Wow. This seems like the thing to do. Uh, so there was then, then the time went on, like Paul Simon, uh, James Taylor I loved, uh, The Who. <laughs> a lot of different yeah. influences, which yeah. I still do today. Um, but I think our songs came out mostly like R&B kind of, play, like Al Greenish kind of stuff when we started. And we were just all over the map when we when we wrote. And we'd, we'd find these little studios in New York and we'd record there and uh -huh. had a great time. But what happened was, you know, we'd bring the songs to publishers and they'd turn them down all the time. I don't see it. Yeah, it is. And I got more and more bitter, which is something I hold on to to this very day. <laughs> and... Um, and I was playing in bars, where, where I met my wife, Peg, and uh, it was a wine and cheese place, and I'm doing this, these songs, like James this is Taylor still songs. back in New back York. Back in New York, yes. This is back in New York. And I'm on stage doing some you know, cover songs, me and my guitar, and no one's listening, and people are laughing and not paying attention. Drinking their wine. Yes. How dare they come to a wine and cheese place and drink wine and cheese. Exactly. Nuts. So I got really mad, and I went up during a break, and I wrote a parody of the then popular BG song "Staying Alive," and my parody was "Singing Too High." <laughs> I came back after a break. I sang a couple of cover songs. No one listened. All of a sudden, I do that parody which I just wrote, and people like go, "Hey, those aren't the words," and they start listening to me. And then they started laughing, and I'm going, "Oh, this is interesting." So then I wrote more of those, and then I developed some patter to go between the songs, and then I had a little. Uh, within a couple of weeks, I had a little comedy act. Wow. Which I took to Dangerfields in New York. That's So you really, story. you had no plans no. to be a comedian. Total accident. Uh, but obviously, you, you were funny. Obviously, you must have known. Yes, I, even, in, even in high school, I did impressions of my teachers. Okay. And, you know, I was kind of, I've kind of off the wall. Did you get goofy. detention for some of that? Did I get detention? Uh, you know what? I did, a, <laughs> I did an impression of my history teacher. <laughs> which he wanted me to do for the class. <laughs> okay. And I did, and the class went nuts. And that semester, I failed history. <laughs> <laughs> you figured, this yeah. is going to be my pass. This I'm going to... Yes, yes. No, no. He didn't take it well, I assume. Wow. Yeah. So I figured, okay, I got to choose my audiences carefully. Why did he ask you to do it? I don't and know. Then... Maybe he thought it would be funny, but I guess I got too close. You never looked him up after? No. No, I didn't care. Wow. So then you start realizing... Ah, I could do this. This yeah. is what I could do. So yeah. did people start hiring you? Well, what happened was, so we moved into Manhattan. You know, I was living in Long Island at the time. We moved into, into Manhattan, and Dangerfields was uh, four blocks away. Okay. And they had an open mic night. And uh, people kept saying, oh, Dennis, you should go do it. Come on, do it. I'm going, oh, no. And I finally gave in. And I'm sitting there for hours, and they're not putting me on. There's jugglers and ventriloquists and singers, and, and I'm just going to the MC, can I, am I going to get on? He goes, no, no, we'll get you on, we'll get you on. And luckily, mm -hmm. these friends of ours, this couple, 
Tony Pinky and his, his, his girlfriend at the time, she was this British woman. She was gorgeous and very sexy. And she went up to the MC and said, Hi, we're here to see Dennis and we'd love to have you put him on if you don't. I think she probably rubbed her leg against his. <laughs> and I was on within two minutes wow. after she did that. And luckily, I guess, I guess a lot of the performers just didn't go over or something. And uh, I did. I went over really well. So it was and a good night. It was a good night, and they hired me on the spot then to be the opening act for uh, Jackie Mason next week. Wow. So, okay, looking back, would you say that night was a, a pivotal moment yes. for your career? Oh, absolutely. Because wow. I went from being like, oh, I'll try this, see how it goes, to like, oh, this went really well, and, wow, they hired me to open for Jackie Mason. That's great. Who's, who's no slouch. And, and those shows went well, and in the course of that week when Jackie was on, Rodney Dangerfield came in, because it was his club, and he would show up every once in a while, and I came off stage, and he goes, they obviously like what you do. What do you do? Because he had missed the show. <laughs> he just saw the, heard the last minute or two, and I said, no, oh, I do song parodies, and I'm goofy, and he goes, oh, I'm going to watch it. And he watched the second show, and he really liked it, and we started talking, and we got along, and he was, he was going to perform there the next week, and he said, you want to open for me? I'm going, is this really happening? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so, I opened for him the next week. And then we, and then the, in, in an instance of incredible timing, he had just done Caddyshack. So we went from being a kind of a known comic to like the biggest comedy star in America. Wow, that's amazing. And he, he went from doing like 60 people a night at his club to like lines around the block he couldn't get in. And he started doing theaters, and he takes me on the road doing 3,000-seat theaters. So within like a couple of months, I go from like a, a wine and cheese place in Long Island to, oh, I'm opening for Rodney Dangerfield next week. That's, that is so cool. You couldn't have planned that. That There's is no so way. cool. Yeah. And was it the wine and cheese place that you met your wife? Yes. Yes, that's... Well, yes. I, did we meet there? I think so. Truman. Oh, we actually... No, I'm sorry. I, I was also playing... I was also... Play, I played guitar and sang songs and was ignored in so many places. <laughs> uh, Truman's was one. It was a restaurant in Rosalind, Long Island. That's where I met Peg, my wife. And uh, I knew we were going to get along because uh, I would... You know, I, you'd sing songs and no one's really listening. They're eating. And every once in a while, someone would come up to me and give me a tip... Uh, to do a song, mostly a song that I hated usually. Mm -hmm. And one of these couples was You Light Up My Life. And I had to do You Light Up My Life, which is not, let's put it mildly, my favorite song. Sure. And I did it because I was a whore and I wanted the tip <laughs> money. So they put the money in the glass. And Peg, every time I sang that song, would stand at the end of the bar and there was a, a light. <laughs> every time I sang You Light Up My Life, she would turn on the light. Just as I got to the dimmer switch, he would turn it up and then look at me lovingly. And I go, oh, we got to get together. That's so great. Yeah. yeah. That is so great. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so you start working with Rodney Dangerfield. Yes. And you start uh, collaborating on some things, right? You did some, some TV with yeah. him. Well, I wrote, uh, I tried writing a joke for him. He, he want, you know, people would send him jokes. He'd pay $50 a joke. So we started becoming friendly at the club. And I, I submitted like five or six jokes to him one night. And he says, I'm going to try that one joke you gave me. And this was the joke. She was fat, I tell you. How fat, Rodney? When she went swimming, she re left the ring around the lake. Okay, that was the joke. So he said, I'm going to try that joke, okay? I'm all excited. I wrote a joke for Rodney Dangerfield. He goes on stage. The place is packed. It's Saturday night. I, I was sitting uh, near the entrance to the showroom. So I'm watching Rodney from this side. He does a bunch of his jokes, and he goes, She was fat, I tell you. 
She went swimming. She left a ring around the lake. No one laughed. Oh. <laughs> I have to use the F word here because okay. he turns around on stage in front of a room full of people and goes, thanks, Dennis. Thanks for that fucking joke. <laughs> I never wrote a joke for him again. Seriously, that <laughs> he, was it. It traumatized me. But he started, he, he knew I was funny, so he started have, getting, including me in on projects, like his, his TV special mm-hmm. and everything. And one night he comes off stage, he goes, Caddyshack was such a big hit, he tells me in his dressing room, he goes, yeah, they want to do a movie starring me. So if you come up with an idea for a movie, let me know. I'm okay. like, I'm not going to not come up for an idea for a movie. Right. For run. We go running home. I like come up with the idea for Easy Money in like an hour or something. I wow. Go, I run back to the uh, club. I go, here's the idea. He goes, oh, I like the idea. So that's how that started. That's how that started. Yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, what was the process of writing that? How long did that take? Uh, approximately two years. Yeah. He didn't use me at first. He, he got two writers, uh, a guy named Michael Endler and PJ O'Rourke, who's like a pretty famous yeah. Um, yeah, satire writer. Uh-huh. And he d- he did not. He called me up after he had gotten their script. And he said, Dennis, I'm going to send you this script. It's a piece of garbage, okay? It's no good. It's horrible. It's just, I said, all right, I'll read it. He said, tell me what you think. I read it. It's a first draft. It's got problems. It's not terrible. So I go, yeah, Rodney, it's... Uh, it's okay. It's, it's, you know, it needs work. He goes, just what I thought. He calls his manager, Estelle Endler, who was married to one of the writers, Michael Endler. He says to her, Dennis agrees with me. It's a piece of crap. <laughs> I want him writing on the movie. Wow. He does not tell me. He told her this. I meet with the writers who hate me now because they've been told that I thought their uh, work was crap. I had no idea he had told them that. And for oh the first goodness. two, three weeks, they're like they're scowling at me and they hate me. And you have no idea why. No, finally found out. And I told them, no, I didn't, I didn't say that at all. But that's how it all started. So I became a writing partner. And uh, two years around Rodney's table in Manhattan. So then, um, so when did you start sort of opening up for all of these, you know, artists, comedians, singers? When did that, did that start after Rodney or while you were working During, with him? Well, um, uh, you know, he wouldn't work all the time. Uh, here's what happened. All of a sudden, you know, I'm with Rodney Dangerfield, and I'm doing well in front of him, so all of a sudden the agents are starting to get interested. Mm-hmm. And uh, William Morris contacts me, and they say, hey, well, we want to sign you, and I'm all excited again. Right. Rodney, William Morris agency wants to sign me. What do you think? He goes, eh, don't do it. Don't do why. it, he says. Yeah, yeah. He goes, you know why? You know that money you make with me? Yeah. They'll take 10%. That's what they'll do for you. So he was totally against it. But there was a guy but there was a guy named Lee Solomon who was legendary. He had he, he was he had bigger egos than his clients. I mean, he wore the pinky rings and the fur capes. He was an agent? He was an agent, yeah. And he was there was no one like him, but he was great. He started booking me with you know, you you're free for uh, you want to open for the Four Tops this weekend at Atlantic City. Yeah, sure. You know, and Rodney wasn't working. I'd do that. And finally, I hooked up with this guy named Fred Suss, who was really good. Okay. And he's the guy that hooked me up with George Carlin eventually. Okay. But Joan Rivers people heard about me through a, a maitre d' at Caesars. So that was Here, the right. That yeah. was the Joan Rivers connection. Yes. Yeah. There. So through Rodney, I got a lot of people. You know, got a lot of. It was work. through that connection. Yeah. Because you actually went on the Tonight Show. Yes, that she got me on. When Joan was hosting, right? Yeah. So, okay, tell me about that story, getting the call. 
For The Tonight Show? That you're going to be on The Tonight Show. Well, here's the thing with people like me, guitar comics who do parodies. There's always problems with TV for, like, song rights, and they don't know once to get sued. You know, even though I do short parodies. So it's resistance, resistance. Mm-hmm. Jim McCauley, who booked The Tonight Show, uh, saw me at the comedy store because Rodney set it up for me. Okay. And he came up to me at the end of my set, and it went really well. But he said, Dennis, you're very funny, but we can't do song parodies on The Tonight Show. So I went, oh, I guess that's that's no good. Um so uh, when I started working with Joan, you know, everything went well, and uh, she was guest hosting every once in a while. Yeah. And I get, she apparently behind the scenes kept talking me up, and they kept resisting. And just one day, I'm backstage, I think in St. Louis, and her, her, her hairdresser and her manager are talking, and they know I'm within earshot. And uh, they're starting to do things. They're saying things like knowing that I'm here, overhearing them going, yeah, what's that I hear about the the Tonight Show? Oh yes, uh, oh uh, yeah, Dennis. Yeah, I heard something about, and I poke my head in. Guys, are you telling me I'm good? Oh, how did you know? <laughs> well, that wasn't supposed to get out. So she finally got me the Tonight Show. Okay. Yeah, and I did my first shot uh, in December of eighty four. Nineteen eighty four. Yeah, December, and yeah. and uh, you, I think. You went longer than you were supposed to. Is that correct? Well, uh, uh, what, what she said at the end, I didn't, I didn't know about that. I mean, I was trying to time myself. But she said, well, usually you see, I sat down with her. Yeah. And, you know, she was going to interview me a little bit. And she said, we went, you got so many laughs. We went too long. We're just going to go to commercial. And we went to commercial. And got that was it. it. Yeah. So got went, it. Oh, okay. I guess, and I, I guess I did okay. That must have been an amazing feeling. Oh, please. For you to oh, please. go on The Tonight Show. Yeah. It was like, you know, I mean, even... You show up. You show up there. You do your sound check. Uh, I did the sound check. I finished the sound check. Just going running through the jokes I was going to do. And the band happened to be on stage. And Ed Shaughnessy, the drummer, just came over and tapped me on the shoulder. Said, "You're going to have a great set." I went, "Oh, thanks." And I couldn't believe. I mean, you're standing on the star that yeah. Carson stood on every night. Yeah. And then then doing the show, it's like I was strangely. I didn't think I was nervous because I, I got it all behind me. Mm-hmm. But my mouth dried up a little bit. <laughs> I was I could tell. I was saying, "Oh, geez, I'm, I'm realizing what I'm doing." But all I try to do is think of it as like, "Okay, I'm just doing a 500 seat comedy club." I just tried to put that in my head because then, if you're thinking, "Oh, then 30 million people are going to watch this later," yeah, you'd, you'd go nuts. You just put yourself in a comfortable environment. Yeah, yeah. And know? then you get your first laugh, and there's such a hot audience. And go, oh, okay, it relaxes you completely. And after that night, I drove home, and I don't remember how I got home. I just had no memory of getting in the car. I wow. was just so. In a, in a zone that I just we pulled up to our apartment. I went, how did I get here? It was just so, Man. I just did the night show. So it was pretty cool. Then I did a second one uh, a couple of months later. You did another one. Did another one. And I was supposed to do the third one with Johnny. And then Joan and her, he had, her, had that big falling out. So I became a Joan act and that, 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 there went that. Got it. So you were yeah. you were set to do I was this close. The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Yeah. Yes. And it fell through. Yes. Oh, that's a bummer. Yeah, sorry. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it worked out. It you still out. went on the Tonight Show twice. I did. I can say that. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um all right, I want to shift gears for a second to music because you've put out a lot of music in the last few years. You've you've put out well, you put out an album in twenty twenty called Songs from Captivity. Yes. 2019, music from Big Brick. Yes. And 2018, an album called Hapless Romantic. Hapless Romantic. So that's a lot of music to put out in a short period of time. Um, 
Tell me how these came about. Well, uh, all this time that I've been doing comedy, especially when I reunited with John Durkin, I never stopped writing songs. I You're mean, always writing songs. Always, always. And not that much when I, during the comedy years, like the hot comedy years, but occasionally, you know, I'd come up with something. And then, you know, the Carlin gig, and uh, I would start writing a little bit more, and I never lost my love for doing it, because I think that's what I do really well. Uh, so I would record stuff locally, and you know, put, but never thought of putting out albums or anything. Okay. Uh, so, you know, George Carlin died in 2008, mm-hmm. and I suddenly had a lot of free time. <laughs> And you, uh, at that point, you were, we'll talk more yeah, about yeah. George Carlin, but you were ex- basically working exclusively Pretty with exclusively him with at him. that time. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But then uh, a combination of the free time and uh, reuniting with my old friend John, uh, I, started, he, I started getting into the groove again of writing a lot of songs. And when we were in college, we wrote a lot of songs in the style of, not comparing ourselves, but in the style of Cole Porter, George Gershwin, because mm-hmm. we always loved that music. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, we had a whole bunch of those, and a, st- uh, a guy in the studio here, Bobby Ferrari, said, "Listen, I, I love those songs. Why don't I, I'll just why don't I just re- record them?" Okay. And I got the trio together. I got Bob Sachs and uh, the people he, you know, and and uh, some Joey great Singer, Vegas musicians yeah, here, and Mike Meacham, and we just did it live in the studio, and we wrote all original songs except for Bluesette, which was not an original. And you played guitar. I pl- yes, I played right. guitar. Yes, and we just put it out, and, and Spotify was here. I said, eh, "Put it out on Spotify, you know, right. and see what happens." And then that led to uh, what John and I were writing lately were more country-oriented songs. Yep. So then we just started doing that. He found a studio in Nashville where you can go there and they just hire these amazing guys who play on all the records. And, you know, it's, <gasps> he, was, he was footing the bill for that, so that's good. Okay. Uh, John was so footing you, the bill. So you had all the songs that you had written yeah. together. Uh-huh. Um, and you send a demo to the guys in Nashville? No, what you well you you can do that and they'll they'll do it for you. They'll get a singer. And we started doing it that way like they we they get a singer. And they the, all, the, all the singers were great, but it just I wanted to sing. Them. Well, no, you, they were your songs, right? <laughs> yes. So so you went to Nashville. Yes. And were you there during the recording sessions? Uh, the, uh, at first, no. They we would send them send a few of them in. Okay. But then I then uh, we started going. We started going to Nashville. Okay. cuz we wanted to uh, be more involved and just loved it. It's it's a great place. It's called Beard Music, and uh, and they said, "Why don't you sing them? You know, you you got a voice." Yeah. <laughs> and I start. We started doing that, and it was just a, the, the, you would just play a guitar demo demo for the guy who owned the studio, and he he just would uh, write a Nashville numbering system chart uh-huh, for okay. each song. Okay. And then the next day you'd go in and you'd have these great musicians, and you know, they would just listen to it your guitar guitar demo once, and they would just play the song perf- almost perfectly the first wow. time through. And they did make adjustments here and there. And within half an hour, you have a full song. Wow. And we just got crazy into this. And know? then, so you would put the vocal on? Yes. You put the lead vocal yeah. and any, if it needed background vocals, right? You'd I would do, do the that. background vocals. And uh, did you play guitar on it no, as well? No, I just, I didn't play on any of these because the, <laughs> Larry Beard, who plays acoustic guitar, has this old Martin that just is, and he's a great player. And he said, you, you play it. <laughs> and I, I just sing the guide vocal, you know. Okay. So, no, I wasn't playing on any of these. And they'd have all these legendary electric guitar players, pedal steel drums. Yeah. So, and we just started putting the songs out. And know? that became uh, songs from Big Brick, right? Yes, yeah, songs, music from Big Brick music, was the first one. Music from Big Brick. Yes. But that you put out in 2019. That's a, another, it's a great album. Well, thank you. Um, 
Yeah, and, and you're on Spotify. You're on all the digital services. All the stuff. All the all the all the major thingies we're on. Then in 2020, when we were all we're all stuck in our yeah, homes. Yeah, I don't know this this flu, this big this big flu, was it a flu? I've was this heard big of it. Thing hit. It was I've, really bad. Co- COVID. COVID. Yes, yeah, COVID. It was a Greek. It was a Greek disease. <laughs> <laughs> I got the COVID. But again. <laughs> It probably inspired you to write songs even more. Well, yeah, and also I had all these things, and and I said, well, I can't really go into the studio. I don't, I don't want to. I don't want to chance that. But I had all these things that sounded pretty well on their own, like with just guitar. Yeah. So I gathered up and I had I wrote a couple of new ones, and there was one or two that I I listened to and I went, oh, that does sound pretty good, bare bones. So went into the studio and I played all the instruments this time. Okay. Except for the drums. Okay. Which was David Ramirez. And uh, Steve Another Weiss, great musician. Steve Weiss played percussion on Fantastic. One. These are these are Vegas guys. And uh, just put that out. And yeah. Again, yeah. It's great. Another, I mean, Thank you so you're, much. so I, I'm just, I'm always impre- impressed by your, your creativity in many different fields. Um, I'm very bored easily. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and you don't, I'll tell the audience that Dennis much of the time doesn't, give himself enough credit because he is actually a fantastic guitar player and he's a fantastic singer and songwriter. And, uh, that's the truth. So, all right. So go check out Dennis's music on Spotify and iTunes and all those places. And and the one with the, uh, and the one with the jazz stuff is called hapless romantic. Hapless romantic. That's the jazz. A great album. Thank you, sir. Um, okay. Going back to George Carlin. Yes. How did that come about? Well, this agent that I talked to you about, who was really great, not Lee Solomon. This was a younger guy, and he was get every you know, a lot of long story stuff happened with Rodney, and I left him, and I went with Joan, I left her, but he was he in the interim, he was always getting me booked with like he'd call up and go, hey, you want to open for um, the Four Tops this weekend, and like said, hey, you want to open for uh, the Righteous Brothers for a week, you know, at in Westbury Music Fair, and these gigs would come because all these people wanted opening acts. So I would do a lot of that. Um, Beach Boys, um, wow. Gloria Estefan, who okay. was uh, so sweet. That was so much fun. Gloria Estefan wanted me to do parodies of her songs. She did. During my show. I'm really? Going, You're, they don't know me. Your fans will kill me. <laughs> she said, come on, can you do Goys Will Be Goys? No, I'm not doing, I'm not doing a parody of your song, Boys Will Be Boys. I'm not doing... But she just won. I said, I, I can't. All right, fine. You know, do your act, you know. But uh, so stuff like that. It was, it was some great experiences that I wow. had on the road, which are all in the book. Um, but uh, one day, uh, this guy, Fred Suss, calls me. He says, hey, do you want to open for George Carlin for three months? And I said, okay. let me think about it. No, let me not think about it. Yes, I'll do that. Right. Because, of course, we all idolized all the comics. And, uh, okay, you start in like a week or two or something. Here, here's the itinerary. I was going to do a weekend he he was doing weekends at the time. Okay. Friday, and I show up at Omaha uh, first, and I'm pacing downstairs, and I'm nervous because most of the people I've opened for are great, but every once in a while you get an idiot and a jerk and someone who turns out to be a disappointment, you know, as a person. Uh, okay. Going, oh, God, I hope George is not And like you don't that. know at this point, no, right? No, never met, never met the man. They saw a tape of me somewhere, and they said, oh, he might work out. So I'm going, oh, I hope he's not a, uh, an ass, you know. Yep. I hear the door open upstairs at the theater and it's George's voice going again I must drop the F-bomb because it's Carlin he says hey Dennis where the fuck are you never met the guy that's what I hear I'm going uh, down here and he comes down 
and he shakes my hand immediately. Goes, Dennis, how you doing? I'm George. I know, I know. Thank you, George. Yeah. Anyway, and he starts roaming around my dressing room, looking as what is this? What are you? What, this is my deli tray. I got like a hundred carrot sticks or something. He goes, what are these? What's with the carrot sticks? What are you a goat? What's wrong with you? And he takes like three. I'm going to take half of these. You don't need all these. And he's doing bits like with me. And and like for two minutes, three minutes, he goes, all right, just wanted to meet you, and uh, don't mess up, because we'll be watching you. All right, take care. And he leaves, and I'm going, this could be fun. Wow. You know? Wow. And uh, we just got along right away, and uh, I did the show, and luckily it went well, and uh, they were happy, him and his manager were happy, and I did the next weekend, and we did the three-month engagement, different weekends, and after three months, he said, hey, you want to stay? Because by that time, we were pals. And uh, uh-huh. we got along, and, and and my show happened to uh, get the audience up for him. So that's what happened. And that ended up being a, like a twenty year, yeah, eighteen run. years exclusively. And then uh, <laughs> uh, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the uh, Live Nation. Live Nation. He signed with Live Nation, right? And they wanted they they said they'd promote his shows, but they had to start using some of their. So they brought in their own acts, yeah. acts. right? So I mean, you would still do it, but not exclusively. Yeah, the Vegas shows and the occasional, but but still, I was doing it. But uh, how yeah, does so eighteen years exclusively? How does being an opening act um, differ from you headlining? In other words, you know, financially, like, yeah. <laughs> besides financially, that right, but yeah. um, mentally, how uh-huh. you, you know. The, the way you prepare for something like that? Yeah. How does it differ? Uh, different, you have to get your head into a different space each time. First of all, the people I opened for were, they had huge fan bases. I mean, you know, Beach Boys, Tom Jones. Right. I mean, come on. And so many times, they don't know you're coming out. And even if they do know an, op- an opening act is coming out, they don't care. It's like they forget. So the lights will go down. Tom, George, Rodney, you know. And then you, this this dweeb comes out with a guitar, <laughs> and they're going, huh? <laughs> Where's Rodney? You know, and they hate you, like, for the first minute. By the time you get to the microphone, they already hate you, and they realize they're figuring it out on their calculators how much else, else they got to pay their babysitter. You got about 30 seconds to win them you over. You got to be funny real fast. Yeah. So luckily, I had my Bee Gees thing at the time when I started with Rodney, and people hated disco. So when I made fun of the Bee Gees... I got them, you know, most of the time. I mean, every once in a while, you yep. don't get them immediately. Yep. But thank God. But that's that's the mindset. It's like, you know, okay, I got a job to do. It's very good, like workmanlike. Okay, I got a job. Oh, these people love that they're not coming here to see me, you know. And you them. go out and do how, how long in general when you're opening? Eh, 25, 30 minutes. Okay. That was the general thing, yeah. Okay. So luckily, you know, with my music, with the music and the parodies, it really got people pumped. So you I had keep to kind the of act, going kind of yeah. quick, right? And it was different enough from what the guy, the people would, the, the, your headliner was doing, right. that it, you didn't. In, so you know, um, so that was it. Headlining, you know, the comedy club, they're there to see a comedy show, so they don't care who the headliner is as long as they're good. So okay. the pressure's a little bit off. Okay, but you still have to deliver the goods. You know. And you would go out and what do an hour? Forty five minutes to an 45 hour. Forty five minutes to an hour. Yeah. Which to me sounds like a long time it to is. go up there and, <laughs> and talk and, and entertain by yourself. Yes, yes. But luckily over the years I developed enough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You and, have enough and, material. And also my act is very interactive. So a lot of it is just dealing, you know, doing crowd work with the audience. Right. And they'll yell out requests and I'll try to come up with a parody on the spot. Oh, that's great. And that works really well. Well you're you're you know for our audience that doesn't know Dennis, he's very quick, very quick-witted. He can come up with things on the spot. So uh, that Some, must most, come in most handy. Of the time. 
That must come in handy. Did you get heckled sometimes? Oh, God, yes. Here's the thing with comics. We never remember the good shows. We always remember the bad ones. Yeah. And my worst experience, uh, when, when George Carlin had a sitcom, they made me, he was off the road for a long time, but they made me the warm-up guy for his sitcom. Okay. Which some people do very well, and I was okay at it, but I'm telling you, it is, it is a hell job. It's like it, it is, really. Yeah, because they're there, and, and, and you can't do your act only. You have to have all sorts of other stuff because you're there for two, three hours. Oh. So you run, you're at a, you can't just do your act. And also, you can start a bit in your act, and if the bell rings on stage, that means they're doing another scene. Or they're going to redo something that messed up in the previous scene. So you're constantly being interrupted. So luckily, I was able to figure out a way to do those well, pretty well, with Carlin's show. Then, they, then I got um, Coach, the show Coach. Okay. And that, they did two shows a night, so I was able, it was only an hour and a half. So, okay. And that went pretty well. But you would have to, so you have to keep coming back to the audience yes. every time there's like a break? Yes. So there was a lot of things. I started, you know, trivia contests, and I'd give out. I'd get these stupid at the ninety-nine cent store. <laughs> I would give out a prize to the uh, people joke telling contest in the audience. That's the kind of stuff you'd have to. You'd be, be like a game show host, <laughs> and people in the audience would come down and tell jokes. And if they the best, you'd vote on the best joke, and I'd give out one of my cheesy ninety-nine cent, like a back scratcher. Great. The biggest hit was the Regis and Kathy Lee calendar wall calendar. <laughs> I bought like a bunch of those, and I'd give those out. Wow. So you know. Most of the time, but they, were, they had me do the Drew Carey show for okay. a season because the same producers for George's show were the producers for Drew Carey. And that went usually okay, but there was one time where they just hated me from when I said good evening. I don't know why. It was the same stuff I'd been doing for months. They just hated me. I could not get a laugh. Hmm. And I'm there for three hours. And I, I just had to bull through it. And... And I said, there was some joke I had, I remember, with one guy was heckling me mercilessly. And there was one joke I said where I said, and the comedians usually do this. And he said, the comedians? It's like, oh, man. And Drew would be out there and they'd say, Drew, help us. Rescue us from this guy. To this day, I I wake up in a cold sweat every once in a while remembering that day. Wow. Yeah. Luckily, I didn't get heckled too much because I I was louder than they were. My act, my act is really loud, okay. and they just keep going. You but, know. but that wasn't necessarily uh, something you wanted to continue doing. Oh, God, no. Being I was a... so glad when he went back on the road. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It was okay. Like I said, it was all right, and it usually worked out fine, mm-hmm. but it was, it was nothing that I looked forward to. You know? Not something that you uh, could really sink your teeth into no. like you can with, with stand-up. Right. And, and there were guys who did it really well and made their living at it, and it you, you couldn't turn it down because it paid great. Paid good. It's amazing, you know, for an hour, three hours. Right. But, you know, I hated myself for doing it. You whore. You'll take anything <laughs> for money. You no good, lousy whore. Well, plus it started with, you know, George Carlin. Right. Right? You're not going to say no yeah, to that. you can't say no to you that. You can't say no to that. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your your new book. Okay. Uh, your new book is, uh, it's about your life. It's about your your life in show business, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There's a ton of great stories about when you got started in the comedy clubs, you know, the 90s was like comedy had blown up. Yeah, was, 80s especially. Right, yeah. 80s, 80s and 90s, yeah. It was everywhere. And, and you did comedy where Jerry Seinfeld right. got his start, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, name some 
comedians that you... Well, yeah, I mean, uh, I was working with Roddy, but, you know, there, I would do clubs still, you know, when he wasn't working. And there was a club in, in Fort Lauderdale called the Comic Strip, which was associated with the one in New York. And all the New York guys would and girls would go down there for two weeks at a time. And uh, one week I was there, uh, on the bill was me, uh, Seinfeld, Bob Nelson, Carol Liefer, Rich Paul, uh, Peter Bales. I, was, I said in the book, if it wasn't for Peter Bales, Peter Bales, I'd be the least known comic of this bunch. <laughs> uh, and we were just, you know, this is before Seinfeld hit it big, you know, right. he, even before he did his first Tonight Show. Wow. Uh, you know, and he was there and we all had fun. We all did 20 minutes, e- 20 minutes each, you know. So these are the types of stories you put in your book. Yeah. And when did you start writing it? Uh, I wrote it about, I think I started around 10 years ago. Is that right? George's manager at the time, who became my manager, and that's a long story, but um, he said, you know, I could really break you if you did a one-man show. And I said, okay. And I put a one-man show together. Okay. Kind of like what would eventually become the book, you know, telling stories about mm-hmm. people I opened for uh-huh. with music. And we did it for a weekend, and nothing, nothing happened. Nothing came of it. <laughs> you actually did perform yeah, the one-man show. Los, Los Angeles, yeah, for three nights. It, it got well-reviewed, as a matter of fact. Then the manager goes, you know, forget the one-man show. I think I can, <laughs> I think I can break you if you write a book. <laughs> I go, a book about what? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> come, come up with an idea for a book. <laughs> now, I'm already disappointed from the non the nothing from the one man show. Right. So I go, well, what am I going to write a book about? Uh, okay, I'll, I'll put, I remember great stories about opening for people. Yeah. So that's how it started. And I started writing those stories. And then like, I'd write more, you know, mm-hmm. and he brought it to a publisher and one publisher who turned it down. He went, yeah, it's not going to go anywhere. I go, it's one publisher. <laughs> Could you like try a little harder? That was it. That was it. So I put in a drawer and then like, as, as time went on, I go, oh, I should write this, you know, write this mm-hmm. down. I just kept up. And then finally, a friend of mine, Joe Ulick in New Jersey, who was a big fan of mine in Atlantic City, says, I found you a publisher. I said, oh, great. Thank you. So I sent it in. He liked it. And that, that's how it came. Okay. finally came to be after 10 years of being invariably, by turns, in desk drawers, not doing anything with it. Well, it, it's the great thing about the book, and, and I'm not through the whole thing, but it's a very easy read. Um, you, you're a great writer. It's very engaging. Um, people probably don't know that you were actually an English major. Is yes. that correct? Yes, and I speak it very well, I think. You do speak it's come it very, out, it's very handy. The punctuation is fantastic. Have you heard the exclamation points <laughs> at any point in the conversation? <laughs> they jump out at you, don't they? They really do. They jump off the page. They jump off the page. <laughs> um, so the book is a great read. Thanks. And um, All right, Dennis, what's, what's next for you? What are, what, what are the plans? What would you... What's your what's your dream for the next few years? Naps, lots of naps. Okay, I like that. There you go. Well, uh, well, um, luck. Hopefully, this thing is going to go away pretty soon. You mm-hmm. know, once we reach herd immunity. Uh, so I already started doing some. I did some Zoom comedy shows. Yeah how were, how different is that? Quite. Yeah. You're sitting in your pajamas with a shirt on, uh, so they don't know you're sitting in pajamas. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting. So is it not really stand up. It's, it's sit-down comedy. I'm doing a lot of sit-down lately. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I, I did it mainly just to keep my chops going, yeah. chops up. Yeah. Because I, but it not, it's not, you can hear the people, the audiences are in little boxes. It's like watching Hollywood Squares. 
uh, and you can hear them laugh. You know. Okay. Uh, so it's not bad, and and, right. and and so you can tell if you're doing well or not. Uh-huh. You know. And I think I did one two days ago, and one of the comics was getting not heckled, but people were talking at him like from the from the box, going, "Great, heckled on on a computer." Wow, heckled over Zoom. Yes, heckled over Zoom. Wow. Um, so that was fine. And then uh, I just did a t- uh, uh, my uh, two ten minute spots in the X Country show here in Vegas. Okay. And those went well. And then so that was the first live, first live that you had done in over a year. Over a year. Yeah. Wow. And thank God it went really nicely. And then in about a, a week, I'm doing the Comedy Cellar here in Re- at the Rio. So Great. Hopefully that'll start up. So again. things are slowly but surely yes coming back. And meanwhile, I have a a boatload of new songs that once I get to go back to Nashville soon as I can. So that's the plan. Hopefully, yes. The it's- new album will be called Reset, probably. Okay. And there's a song called Reset on there and plenty of tunes. How many how many songs do you have written for that? <sighs> oh, how many? Well, I have to choose between You have more than you need. Oh god, more. I have like two, three albums worth. Really? Yeah. Well that's fantastic. So I'm gonna pick the best the ones that I like best. Good. And that's what that's the the main thing, but just trying to get back out there, you know, and wanna socialize again and go to McDonald's and sit down and read a book. <laughs> Yes, which is which shows how sophisticated I am. Well, <laughs> you know, McDonald's reading tables, tables. Mm-hmm. Why no not? waiter, no waiter to interrupt you. No. <laughs> Can't wait. Well, hey, this has been a joy. I, Thank you. Um, yeah, it has nice, nice interview. Thanks. Where can people find you online? Uh, under a bridge, uh, right by the two fifteen. <laughs> um, Online, I am at, uh, well, the DennisBlair.com is the website. DennisBlair.com. Uh, Denny underscore Blair is the Twitter. Okay. I don't go on Instagram much, but it's... But uh, you're on the, there. Yeah, Den, Denny Blair. Den, Denny Dennis, Blair. Dennis, Dennis Blair, I'm pretty sure. I'd have to double check. I'm okay. sorry. And, uh, and Facebook. And I'm you're on, on Facebook. I'm on the Facebook you're under my name. You're on social media, yes. your website. Yeah. And uh, so yeah. people can find out where you're going to be yes. and all that stuff. All that kind of stuff. Fantastic. Exactly. Dennis, thanks so much for Thank being you. here. Thank you. I appreciate it. And hi, Peg. <laughs> what? Peg's been here the whole time? She's been sitting Why there Iota? the whole time. Why Iota? Hasn't heckled you once. How many scowls? How many scowls in France? <laughs> how, many, how many scowls? How many head shakes? No, that's not what happened. Thanks, Dennis. Thank you, Jamie. You have been listening to the Chic Compass Connection podcast. To learn more about Chic Compass magazine, visit chiccompass.com. That's C-H-I-C-C-O-M-P-A-S-S dot com. Thanks again to The Vegas Room for hosting us. Visit thevegasroom.com to find out more about this great supper club. This is Jamie Hosmer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>